I've long held a fascination with the psychological. It can be found in many of my works and many of the other podcasts that I've done discussing literature. And as a deeply troubled man whose life was at least partially led into a downward spiral by addiction to alcohol, I'm referring to Poe, not myself, Edgar Allan Poe was more than familiar with the deterioration of the human mental health. Only one issue. At the time Poe lived, the study of psychology had yet to be formalized and was vastly considered pseudoscientific. As a result, Poe's work explores the human psyche in works such as Imp of the Perverse, Telltale Heart, and most importantly for today's episode, The Black Cat, and falls into the territory that, like much of his work, it was too ahead of its time to truly become popular. In today's episode, we discuss that topic as well as many more. I'm joined by the man who introduced me to The Black Cat in an excellent course entitled The American Gothic, Professor Harry Brown. Hello and welcome back to a podcast. I'm your host, Owen Meyer. Joining me today is Professor Harry Brown, the man who introduced me to Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat. So given as you introduced me to The Black Cat, Professor, I determined that it would uh, only be right to give you the opportunity to introduce it to the listeners. Thanks, Owen. Uh, It's one of my favorite stories by Poe. Uh, It's one of his shorter stories, but I think it packs a lot of ideas pertaining specifically to Poe's theory of mind um, and his and his uh, interest in uh, sensational images. So the story on its face uh, is about a man who becomes addicted to alcohol and degenerates into a uh, uh, an animal torturer, an animal killer, and eventually a wife murderer. Uh, when he entombs his wife in his own basement, he imagines that it's the cat entombed behind the wall with his wife that alerts the police to her uh, uh, her position behind the wall. So, as I said, it, it, there's a lot going on in terms of Poe's interest in criminal psychology, abnormal psychology, uh, and uh, addiction. I would agree. Upon first finishing my first reading of Black Cat for Professor Brown's class, a friend and I spent two hours in the early morning of a Wednesday standing in the kitchen of our fraternity house and talking about the black cat because the story has so many complexities. We both determined that the story has a major problem for us as readers in the fact that we can't tell what is supposed to be real to the author, what was real to Poe or like what he was referring to or writing about, what was real to the reader, and in a sense, what was real at all. The black cat toes the line between reality and imagination constantly throughout his plot leaving neither the reader nor the narrator easily able to distinguish what is happening and what is the narrator's delusion. For some, including one of the people that I intend to interview for this episode, this makes the story quite difficult to follow. In reading The Black Cat, Professor, did you feel confused at any point? Did Poe's narrator feel disorienting or take away at all from the story? First of all, Owen, I think that's a really good description of the way Poe in this story and others cultivates narrative uncertainty. Uh, He's one of the early inventors of the unreliable narrator, and uh, I think he intends as a writer uh, to confuse, to call into question what we think of as, as real and imaginary, specifically by putting the story into the voice of a deranged narrator who knows he's going mad is able to reflect on his own madness, but can nonetheless not distinguish between 
what he imagines uh, and, and what's actually happening. So I was confused uh, personally by the appearance of the gallows cat, the second cat, mm -hmm. uh, which I've always read as a projection of the narrator's own guilt towards killing Pluto, uh, towards his own relationship with his wife. So that's, that's confusing, but once you accept that Poe's art depends largely on this, this confusion, uh, the use of unreliable narrator, you get a little bit more comfortable with this confusion as a key experience, key part of the experience in reading Poe. I would say that one of the major things that maybe makes it difficult to discuss the black cat, and maybe the reason that it's not taught at lower levels of education, is that without the literary understanding of how Poe works as a writer or of the gothic and things like this, you will run into the problem of you're expecting a straightforward story where the writer and the narrator can be taken at their word. We're aware of unreliable narrators, but usually in fiction, especially popular fiction today, when an unreliable narrator is present, it is made explicitly clear very quickly that that narrator is unreliable in the fact that someone else in the story distrusts them and there's someone else in the story pointing out the holes in events the issue with black cat for understanding's sake is that because the narrator is the only perspective the events that he sees you can say okay he's unreliable because he's drunk and because he's manic and because he's having all of these problems but you don't have anything you don't have another character's perspective flipped to to say oh he's there's no cat. There's no cat actually meowing from behind the wall. Yeah. He's just standing there, breaking down the wall and showing the police where his wife is yeah. buried. Yeah. I, th I think that's a great observation. And uh, I've always wondered, I've never actually made this assignment in a class, but I think it'd be a good assignment in creative writing or creative interpretation to retell the story from his wife's point of view, um, to, to, to see his degeneration confusion, violence uh, develop from outside his own point of view. Uh, I think that would actually prompt readers to uh, get inside of Poe's narrative style uh, and, and imagine how he's writing unreliability from the, uh, the perspective of outside the unreliable narrator. What, what, what does the wife see, for example, as he uh, gouges the eyeball out of Pluto? What does the uh, what does the wife see as uh, he uh, he comes home in a drunken rage? I think that'd be an interesting approach to reading the story. Yeah, it's an interesting story for me because of that aspect. I've always been one to read heavily into um, psychology as an underpinning of Poe in general, and I mean Black Cat is one of the clearest ones. There's an interesting parallelism between the narrator and uh, Poe's later life himself. A uh, known alcoholic who spiraled worse and worse and was ultimately, in some accounts, found dead at a bar, some accounts found dead in a street, some accounts yeah. found dead in a river, yeah. always drunk. Um, yeah. This isn't, this isn't the only piece in which he writes about alcoholism, but I think it can be, a, I don't want to say distraction, but I don't think it's his main theme. In the, I think he's more interested in flaws in personality and psychology than he is uh, specifically in alcohol addiction. Uh, alcohol plays an important part in the narrator's 
degeneration. But I think it's more, of, in this story, it's more of a trigger uh, mm -hmm. or a, a, a symptom than the cause of his madness. Um, there are lots of other stories, for example, in which he explores the concept of the perverse and, uh, and his own understanding of abnormal or criminal psychology that don't involve alcohol addiction. The Imp of the Perverse is about someone who commits murder simply because they, they can't not, simply because they, they can't uh, work the, the possibility out of their mind. Uh, the Telltale Heart, another famous short and, and often taught short story, is about another man who commits murder because he becomes obsessed with the look of his victim's eyes. So it's not always about alcohol, although there are clear biographical connections. Uh, I think for Poe in this particular story, alcohol is the, the trigger uh, that uh, loosens what he saw as a deeper psychological flaw, which he calls the perverse. Yeah, I would 100% agree. There's an interesting reading that you can take of the black cat, right, where this violence and depravity was always inside of the narrator. Right. And um, the alcohol does what alcohol does in modern society, which is loosens inhibitions. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, instead of a alcohol-caused outlash that led to these events, it's the true yeah. depravity and perverseness of the narrator coming through with the aid of alcohol removing the yeah. sensible man from yeah. the equation. And the scary thing, for, or the thing that fascinated uh, and also frightened Poe, uh, given his interest in phrenology, which is that uh, every capacity of human behavior is either manifestly or latently present in every person. So the scary thing for Poe is that we all, all of his readers, uh, have the, uh, um, the, the capacity, as you say, innately uh, to become like the narrator, depending on the way, uh, the, the different weight, the different areas of the brain, according to uh, the science of phrenology, had. So I, I totally agree with, with the idea that for Poe, uh, the unreliable narrator, the manic narrator, the, the psychotic was potentially present in everyone. And this is what fascinated him about phrenology because phrenology to him uh, seemed to offer a map uh, towards these tendencies in ourselves. So maybe for Poe's era, phrenology is a more common term to understand. I know you mentioned it in class. I actually had someone mention it in reviewing the script for this podcast, a potential topic to raise. Could you give a brief explanation of the theory of phrenology to the readers, yep. listeners? It's a precursor to modern psychology. It's, uh, it's based on uh, the, uh, uh, the relative shape of a person's skull, the indentations or protrusions uh, that, that might be felt through a, um, an examination uh, of, of a skull using these variations in, in skull shape to uh, interpret uh, different areas of the brain that were more pronounced or less pronounced. Different areas of the brain corresponded to uh, different tendencies and personality, which included um, self-destruction, creativity, uh, amativeness, um, all kinds of different things. There's, uh, there's, there's famous maps of the mind that, uh, uh, that you can, in fact, map to specific passages in this story and lots of other stories of Poe. We see it now as a pseudoscience. Uh, we don't think of measuring heads or, or feeling skulls uh, as a way of diagnosing uh, personality or mental illness, but it did uh, 
modern psychology has inherited and modern neuroscience has inherited the idea from phrenology that different parts of the brain do different things. And phrenology as a pseudoscience did hit upon uh, that key idea. Professor, one of the core interpretations of the black cat is the idea that the majority of the story, as we hinted at, is um, motivated by the narrator's mental health issues, uh, partially stemming from his alcoholism. The titular black cat that he sees that leads him to killing his wife, uh, gouging the cat's eyes out and everything, and ultimately revealing where he hid her, hid her body, and the gallows cat not actually being a physical cat or some supernatural entity, but rather a embodiment of how his alcoholism led to his guilt over his wife's murder, leading him to ultimately um, make bad decisions. One of those, depending on how you read it, being the revealing of her body in the end of the story, which is a surprisingly funny event in the course of the narrative, yeah. revealing your own duplicity to the police. Yeah. Um, given this context, are there any other instances of mental health uh, depicted in the black cat that we haven't already referred to, or any other works of Poe uh, either that we have discussed or yet to be raised. I think obsession and fixation appears in uh, in this story uh, and in other stories. You can you can create a map, uh, a matrix of stories in which Poe's unreliable narrators become obsessed with eyes. For example, uh, in the Black Cat, um, Pluto is uh, is tortured and mutilated uh, as when the narrator gouges out one of its eyes in. Um, uh, in uh, the Telltale Heart, as I mentioned before, the narrator is uh, prompted uh, to kill a man because he doesn't like the look of his eyes. Lygia, uh, which is uh, in which we have a narrator who is uh, descends further into opium addiction and hallucination, imagines that his dead wife returns uh, initially through a hallucination of her eyes. Um, so I think I don't. In Freudian terms, you can call it obsession or uh, or fixation, the compulsion to act on an obsession, which could be triggered by alcohol. Uh, I think I think that's an important part of the way Poe uses stories to explore uh, what we now call mental health issues. Poe's thought of as a horror writer uh, or a gothic writer, but you could uh, you could see him as a science fiction writer in a way, in that he's exploring the emergent science of psychology through fiction. Um, and uh, again, there's, uh, there's phrenology embedded in uh, lots of these stories. And Freudian concepts uh, that precede Freud that are embedded in a lot of these stories, such as obsession, compulsion, and fixation. Yeah. Most certainly one of the interesting things about Poe as a writer is that in the greater scope of literary history, he's considered this great gothic writer or this great horror writer but he isn't put into discussion with um, writers whose works are truly like deep analyses of human psychology. You have to extrapolate. You have to do something like what we're doing, mm -hmm. where you try and talk about how Poe uses psychology and how phrenology put into his history. Because when you first read a Poe story, the first thing that a lot of people, especially a layman, will notice is, oh, that's creepy. He gouged a cat's eye out for no reason. He killed his wife and buried her in a wall, or Casca Montiato, he tricked his his longtime friend into the basement and buried yeah. him in a wall. Like, you don't get the motivations for Poe's writing up front. You don't get what he was thinking about up front like you do with 
larger works of narrative fiction where you have the ability to provide paragraph upon paragraph of psychological insight through the lens of an omniscient narrator because Poe doesn't use Mm -hmm. that perspective in his works because he's trying to explore the human condition through the human instead of through this external force observing everything omnisciently and saying, oh, that thing that you thought you didn't notice, well, here's a paragraph explaining how it works. Mm -hmm. And it's um, really interesting because, as you said, he explored Freudian concepts before Freud had Mm -hmm. fully, like, codified those Mm -hmm. concepts, albeit the opinion of Freud has deiterated over history as it does with most psychologists and scientists as time passes. Mm -hmm. But the fact that Poe, a primarily fiction writer, was observing these things in his writing years before a Mm well-regarded psychologist and founder of the psychological of the modern day was commenting on them is certainly an interesting... Yeah, you, you bring up a lot of interesting points. Poe and the canon is a whole separate discussion. He, he, uh, you're right in that uh, he's often positioned outside the canon or obliquely parallel to the canon. He was an oddball in his own time, not widely read. Uh, he was resentful that, uh, that more American readers in his own time didn't appreciate or understand what he was doing. Emerson, who was a, a tastemaker, uh, in highbrow literature in the 19th century, called him a jingle man. He didn't read past the surface structure of poems like Annabelle Lee or appreciate Poe's experiments in uh, abnormal psychology. And he wasn't really fully appreciated as a, as a literary innovator until the later 19th century outside of this country in France when uh, his writing became the foundation for symbolist poetry, which then became the, the foundation for surrealist poetry later. So Poe has a, a literary lineage outside of this country um, that, uh, that maybe is greater within the American canon. And you say uh, not considered important, but you could use Poe's concept of mind to read uh, a so-called great American novel like Moby Dick, uh, to read Captain Ahab, for example, who is considered one of the greatest and most complex characters in American literature as an obsessive. Uh, you could draw comparisons very easily between the narrator of The Black Cat and Captain Ahab, uh, or the narrator of The Telltale Heart and Captain Ahab. Uh, Ahab as an obsessive, self-destructive, uh, manic, uh, tragic hero. So Poe's concepts, even though Melville uh, wasn't interested in Poe's work or, or would never credit Poe. You could, you could credit, uh, at least indirectly, Melville's greatest character uh, indirectly to Poe. And if you even want to take it beyond that, you can, think, you can connect Poe, you can use Poe's uh, ideas on morality and psychology to read... Sorry, I'm, I'm recording. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Cheryl, I'll talk to you in a second. Um, Use Poe as a lens for reading Dostoevsky, for example, Crime and Punishment, um, in which you have a narrator who kills simply because he can, and uh, he wants to see what it would feel like. So uh, the modern psychopath, uh, you can say, is first conceived by Poe in these stories and explored in greater depth uh, by the likes of Melville and Dostoevsky, who are firmly inside the canon of world literature and American literature. Yeah, I had... Given your examination of um, 
Poe as a person, like his role and the way people observed him. Uh, I don't know. Did did you watch The Pale Blue Eye? Yeah, I did. I enjoyed it. Um, I have a rather uh, out-of-nowhere question because I've been very interested. I have... Um, Poe has a certain type of ending that he likes to write. The shock, non-shock ending is sort of how I've termed it. Cask of Montiato. No surprise, um, Fortunato dies. Mm-hmm. How Fortunato dies, that's a surprise. Black Cat. Well, you didn't expect that he'd reveal her location. Mm-hmm. Like, you thought maybe you'd get a deiteration of the psyche to the point where he dies or something. But revealing his own guilt in mm-hmm. a pseudo-comedic way... Well, I personally don't think that the ultimate ending to the mystery in Pale Blue Eye is actually the kind of ending that Poe would have liked for a story yeah, involving yeah, Poe. Yeah. Um, it's certainly a strong examination of the criminal psyche. Yeah. The detective character is very interesting in the fact that once his motivations are revealed, you can see a lot of interesting parallels yeah. between Poe's other protagonists and the way that that character is written. But I don't think Poe would, A, like the way he's portrayed, the sort of, um, like, savant, alcoholic Mm -hmm. savant type of character that's so common. Yeah. Like, turning him into a Benoit Blanc caricature (laughs) type of character. I didn't think of that comparison. That's good. Um, And um, I just think it's interesting, right? Because... The film was a hit. It sat in the Netflix top ten for almost a month in, like, the five to seven range. And people don't know Mm Poe. It's just like, oh, it's a cool, like, 19th century setting mystery. We like these. We like Sherlock Holmes. Who's this Edgar Allan Poe guy? He just seems kind of quirky. But what do you think? How do you think Poe would have viewed uh, the narrative or his depiction in The Pale Blue Eye? Two things. That's I did enjoy the movie. I watched it over January. Um, I think, in part, the film attempts to redeem Poe's reputation. Uh, Poe is often diagnosed in the same way that, that some of his narrators are diagnosed. He's often conflated with his own narrators. And I think the film turns him into the lovable misfit. I like the Benoit Blanc thing. I didn't, I didn't think of that, especially with the southern accent that they, that they give Poe in the film. But I think they redeem him. I think Poe would have appreciated the fact that the film attempts to redeem him, um, doesn't read him as a uh, as a psychotic, uh, him, a self-destructive, one of his own characters, but but sees him as uh, more sensitive, more sympathetic, um, and who just doesn't happen to fit into the culture of the U.S. military academy. So I think uh, I think it gives Poe some some overdue credit in that sense. As far as the uh, the ending and the, and the plot point, the twist involving the detective, I, I think one thing, if you just step back and look at it a little bit more abstractly, the idea of a detective investigating a crime that he himself committed, I think in a way is a very Poe idea. Uh, you have uh, the detective who almost has a split personality between the vengeful father uh, who kills the men grotesquely uh, in revenge for the rape and suicide of his daughter. Meanwhile, who is also playing the part of the uh, the rational detective un- trying to uncover the murderer who is himself. So I think the, the doubleness of the, uh, the detective character, I think Poe would appreciate that, uh, even if uh, the twist at the end might have felt a little unearned. I would agree. 
afraid that your local phrenologist might not know what they're doing, that you really can't distinguish the woes of mental health by a bump on your skull, even if your brain is that big. Well, the sponsor of today's episode, BetterHelp, can help. BetterHelp provides high-quality online therapy for a low, low cost. You can get started with BetterHelp today by going to betterhelp.com backslash podcast and sign up for your first free session with BetterHelp to get your mental health in order so you don't go killing your wife. And we're back. Welcome back to a podcast. I'm Owen Meyer. I'm here with Professor Harry Brown. Um, while I was researching for this episode, I stumbled across a 1970 um, article by Robert Shulman in the uh, Johns Hopkins University Press that argues that opposed to the greater works of Poe, specifically like Fall of the House of Usher, which is a novel, right? Um, Poe's shorter works lack profundity of insight into the human psyche. Uh, while this may be true of some other works, I actually, despite my love of it, think Cask of Amontillado is not the deepest psychological explanation. I almost think of it as just good fun. Um, with It's not being a particularly in-depth character study of Montresor or Fortunato, the Black Cat is at its core a gothic character study, deeply rooted in the psyche of the narrator, as we've been talking about. In regards to the Black Cat, is there anything in particular that Poe does to maintain depth of character within the confines of a short story format? Right. Uh, First of all, I guess we should say that uh, Poe didn't believe in long-form fiction. He believed that uh, reading anything that couldn't be read in more than one sitting... Uh, broke the immersion effect, uh, and he talked about the unity of effect, um, which had to be maintained in any poem or work of fiction. And when that unity effect was broken by sleep or having to eat or or leave the room, then uh, the piece lost integrity. So he only attempted one novel, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, and he never really did properly finish it. It's considered one of his marginal works. So he would say that uh, profundity does not correspond to the length of a particular work. Uh, and I think you can make the same argument, for example, with uh, uh, Emily Dickinson, who uh, writes, and hello, Mr. Raven, um, who, <laughs> if you can hear that outside of our window as we speak, um, Emily Dickinson's poems uh, are often not longer than six, eight, ten lines, uh, but they contain the, uh, the, the psychological profundity that's uh, equal to anything in, uh, in Poe or many other writers. So Poe would push back uh, against the idea that, uh, that length equals uh, meaning. Um, but as, as to the Black Cat specifically, one thing that makes it interesting that also brings Poe into the same conversation with another writer like Dostoevsky or Emily Dickinson is the fact that the narrator, while unreliable, is also self-reflective. The narrator is able to reflect on his own state of mind and is able to represent this to the reader, which makes his portrait of uh, madness or perversity all the more interesting because it's a kind of double voice in which he can't resist what's happening to him, and yet he's explaining to the reader in a quasi-rational way what is happening to him. Poe uses a similar voice in The Imp of the Perverse, uh, in which the narrator says, you, you can't fully understand what I've done, but I'll try to explain it to you. So one of the things that makes the psychopathic narrator in post stories so interesting is that uh, the psychopath is able to reflect on his own uh, madness. Mm-hmm. It gives a lens for the reader to reflect on the main character, the narrator's madness, because they are able to. Otherwise, 
you kind of have a story you well we see it a lot today actually um it's becoming more and more popular with the rise of true crime right there's two kinds of true crime the, there's the here's the events yeah look at how terrible they are and then there is um i think the primary example of this is mind hunter mm-hmm. um the here's the events here is the person and here's an examination of that person right so you can see what psychological elements are motivating a person to behave a certain way um with literature if you don't have um the uh, if you have a first person narrator who's not able to reflect on themselves you have a literary equivalent of that first type of true crime where you're recounting a horrific event i tend to think particularly just for shock value you know the the joke of walking in on your parents watching true crime and just hearing his ears were cut mm-hmm. off, yeah. his eyes were gouged mm-hmm. out. And that's all that you're getting. It's just like, look at this terrible thing. Mm-hmm. But Poe doesn't do that. Like, I mean, maybe, maybe you can say he does with Cask of Amontillado. Like, what's the point of Cask of Amontillado other than haha, funny Montresor guy stick Fortunato in wall because he's tricking him into seeing, coming down to get a bottle of sherry. Mm-hmm. Like, who would go to all that trouble for Sherry, anyways. Um, Sherry. <laughs> but um, it's just interesting, because Poe seems to be distinctly aware that while people have this element of perverseness in their personalities that he writes about, they still need something more to actually want to read and observe these per- these horrific or perverse stories. Right. And that this is kind of the dilemma for Poe, I think, in writing these stories, is that he wants to give you an unreliable narrator who is unreliable enough to do things and say things that the reader wouldn't do, but who can explain these things uh, in a way that the reader can understand. And this is, uh, we've already made a comparison to uh, Moby Dick and, and Captain Ahab as a gothic, self-destructive character, um, but Melville needs an Ishmael in that novel in order to reflect upon and explain and interpret for the reader Ahab's actions. We don't get, I would say, as complex as Ahab is, the same degree of self-analysis, reflection, Ahab speaking about Ahab, uh, or Ahab presenting Ahab to the reader. And for that, for that purpose, Melville needs an Ishmael or a Starbuck in order to give uh, an interpretation of the character. What's interesting about Poe's characters is that uh, he, he conflates madness and, and analysis often into the same voice. Yeah, there's an interesting way you can see that as, like, Poe almost seems to think that those who are insane are aware of their insanity, um, which makes it a deeply psychological thing. It's not a, I choose to be insane and I act this way. It is, I am insane and I cannot uh, stop yeah, myself exactly. from being insane. Yeah. Um, it plays back into the something we mentioned way back in the first discussion question, the first prompt, that everyone can become like the narrator of the Black Cat. It is in all of us. All that happened to him is he had something to release it. Yeah. And then once those inhibitions were down, he could no longer control himself, mm-hmm. even when it led to his own downfall. That may be in our class we did discuss dissociative personalities in gothic fiction. That may be one good way to describe it because uh, there's always there's there's often a moment in stories like the Black Cat, the Cask of Amontillado, uh, Telltale Heart, uh, in which the the character says, 
you may wonder how I did this or why I did this. Uh, and there's always something to the effect of be, because I couldn't not, because I couldn't stop myself uh, or b because I, I didn't see any way not to do it. And this has the weird effect, as you said, of uh, a narrator uh, who is uh, watching himself commit actions that, that he can't control. And I think that Poe, uh, as a writer, is innovative in the way that he uh, um, uses dissociation, the separation of one's mind from one's own actions uh, as a narrative device. And I think this is one reason why stories like The Black Cat uh, are so memorable and, and so disturbing almost 200 years later. Yep, and even despite their length. Professor Brown, I wanted to thank you for coming on to a podcast. I, w I wanted to thank you for accepting that a podcast is not just a gimmick name that I came up with for laughs, <laughs> even though it is 100% a gimmick name that I came up with I love for it, laughs. Owen. Thanks. <laughs> I hope you will be ready to listen to the final product, as will you, dear readers and listeners, because I will be attaching to this episode links to PDF files of all of the texts referenced, as well as if I can find a good one, or if Professor Brown provides me with one, a um, picture of a phrenological diagram uh, to give some context sure. to the idea of phrenology that served as such a core aspect of this episode. Thanks for listening to a podcast, and I'll see you next time.